The Cozy Robot Show. Well, hey, Cozy Robots. I'm Mike McCarg. <laughs> I'm Victory Palmasano. And I'm Grace Vaughn. Do not adjust your internet streaming devices if you're watching on Facebook or Twitch or YouTube or Twitter right now. The show is late because I started the program without hitting start stream. So this is our second time. Our second intro. Our show tonight is on fear, and I'm afraid I'm going to make another technical error. Ooh, dad joke. And uh, we do want to let you know that if you're watching live with us right now, you can drop a comment on whatever platform you're watching, and we can see it. So if you have a question you'd like us to cover on the topic of fear during the course of the program, do that. And uh, Grace and our victory, we'll see that you did that and we'll cover that topic. Yeah. That's all the intro I got. All right. Well, uh, Grace and I wore, for those of you who can't see us, we wore our black goth lipstick in honor of the show on fear tonight. I told uh. <laughs> victory that I might have a witch hat. I might have cat ears. I might have something Halloween themed. Did I have those things? Absolutely. No, I did not have those things. <laughs> so I got dressed up in autumnal wear. Anyone watching, please, please appreciate my plaid and red. Uh, it is, uh, I don't know, blood red, maybe. Um, Very Halloween-y. Thank you. Thank you. What I was going for. So be very afraid, everyone. Get ready. They didn't mention the lipstick to me, not because we conform to gender <laughs> standards on the Cozy Robot Show, but because my lips are hidden behind a generous mustache. So there you go. Someday. Someday we'll get to put that lipstick on. Had to be quite, quite, quite the operation to even get it there, though, with the mustache. Thing. Literally, my, my lip is under there, but you can't see it. It changes the shape of your whole face. It's crazy to just get that little peak of your lip was like, oh, my gosh, who is that? I have the mustache precisely because I have almost no upper lip. So it, that is a, just a, a it, this mustache is a service to my. Well, 100%. Mike, you know what helps with that lipstick? So it's if true. ever if ever the magnificent beard were to vanish, lipstick is a great a great uh, uh, thing to use. The beard yeah. may vanish, uh, and I, I know that's going to shock people, but uh, especially Jenny. I'm scared. Yeah, well, yeah I know, but it's a it 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 would be a fear response. I think uh, we are likely going to see masks be a necessary part of society, even as we mm -hmm. reopen things for a couple of years at yeah. least, and masks uh, are made much less effective by wonderful beards like these. So whatever facial hair I have would need to fit inside the kind of cone of a, of a face mask. So are we so talking I, like goatee? We are talking whatever I have to find to fit a mask well if things open back up. Because the choice will either be okay. I have a gorgeous beard on the Cozy Robot Show and never see another human being, or <laughs> my mask fits well and I can re-enter society. And I'd probably lean towards that second oh, choice. Oh, man. I'm with you. Well, the beard will be immortalized in these uh, YouTube videos. And, um, you know, we talk about it on the podcast, so we'll always remember it if if it were to go. But yeah. uh, I like the to think that it's it here for a while. About nine minutes to grow a full beard. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it'll be back in no time. Thing to bring back. <laughs> uh, 
Do we want to do, I want to do the first part of our first question. Absolutely. So Michael J. Bain on Twitter uh, said, when I asked, when I posed the question, what are you guys afraid of? Michael J. Bain on Twitter said, deep water. I saw Jaws at age eight, then had a dream that night that the house was flooded and Jaws was hunting me. So Michael J. Bain has... Uh, more of a question. We'll get to that in a second. But what Victor is talking about is uh, the beginning of that question, which is all about movies, scary movies. Yeah. And Victory, you were saying before the show started that you also saw Jaws and were horrified. This is true. I I think a lot of kids experience this. I have heard this. Uh, saw Jaws as a young child and genuinely afraid to swim into the deep end at night in a pool, like mm-hmm. kind of still today. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> like a shark is suddenly going to appear and totally irrational. Uh, but it feels like a real, I mean, I've had like mini panic attacks in the pool at night. Oh, man. In the deep end. Yeah. I mean more so when I was a kid, but still sneaks in there sometimes. Uh, so I thought it would be fun to talk about, or actually you thought it'd be fun, Grace, to talk about movies we saw when we were kids and like, you know, things we got afraid of because of the movies. I, so that was um, fine. <laughs> I saw, so this is so goofy, but anyone in the comments, if you saw this movie, let's commiserate together. I saw this bizarre movie called The Last Unicorn. It's a cartoon. It was it was made in, I believe, the 70s, 80s. It is so bizarre. And it has like crazy, fantastical creepy characters in it and at one point there's like a vulture witch creature that flies at you and my um my sister and it's such a goofy name for a movie like you would never think that the, the last unicorn would be like a scary movie but it literally Something happened to the rest of the unicorns I mean. yeah exactly <laughs> you, we should have known by the title alone that something was a, a foot but um yeah it scared the crap out of me i mean i'd be i'd be worried if a film was called the last mike uh, <laughs> yeah yeah that's really true oh my <laughs> the last the last mic actually is pretty horrifying that that sounds scary yeah i don't it like that um what about you mike what's a what's like the scariest movie that you ever saw when you were a kid well, when you were a kid hard. when you were a kid I have a dissociative fear response so right. i kind mm-hmm. of famously am unshakable uh when it comes to media um I would sometimes, like when I was very young, get thrown by a given character in a movie that was not scary, right? Oh. So um, there's a film called Labyrinth. Oh, yes. There were a few characters in Labyrinth who scared me, whereas the overall movie did not, or the never-ending story. There were were different moments or themes in in the film that scared me. But, you know, that you're talking about kindergarten first grade with that stuff past that nothing really scared me except for one film which would probably still scare me today um child's play the entire series oh dear god terrifies me could not and it's because i have from childhood to today this kind of unshakable conviction in my gut 
that toys are alive. <gasps> and that's usually mm. a wonderful notion because like <laughs> they're my friends and it's great. But the notion that a toy was alive and against us was a really scary idea for me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think Charles. Isn't this the premise of Chucky? That's that Ch- Chucky. That's is child. Chucky is child's play. Of the See, I never play saw. Series. Okay, obviously, I never saw those. I, Chucky um, is star of all the child's play series. All the ones I've seen. I think the genre grew, and he, there was like a bride of Chucky, and oh, uh, not the genre no. of the series. He had a son but, uh, at one point. He's a thriving, <laughs> thriving. <laughs> He's got a whole point. life. He's got a family. Um, Mike, as you were speaking, I became so aware of how dark the room is that I am in. I oh, like there's like you're definitely in. something behind yes, you for I sure. And I have <laughs> this see a fear hand reaching out and grabbing me from the back. <laughs> I had this. I have this fear. Actually, Victory, I think we've talked about this before. That I have this fear of seeing a face. When I look out the window or I look or I'm driving at night and there's a face where there shouldn't be a face. Yeah. That's mine is when I'm washing my face and have soap in my eyes. I'm terrified that I'm going to look into the mirror and there will be someone either standing behind me or like looking back at me. Uh, So I'm always trying to wash the soap out of my eyes really fast so that I can see. (laughs) I have narcolepsy and sleep paralysis. And so if I wake up at night, I invariably see figures, sometimes with pretty deep detail. Wow. More than a silhouette, I'm saying. Still shadowy, still no features, but with a depth and dimension. And I sometimes like walk to the bathroom and there'll be a shadowy figure in my path. And I just walk through them just assuming they aren't real. And so it's going to be hilarious if there ever is a person actually (laughs) in my way. And I just... Just ram right into them. If there's with an the total in- conviction, they don't exist. If yeah. there's an intruder in your house, they will think this guy is so tough <laughs> that he looked at me and went, "Whatever." Like, and they will be so afraid they will leave the house. It is. If you thought about, if you were <laughs> in that situation, someone who doesn't run toward or away from you, but just kind of doesn't break oh, pace that, and that's right. walking, that's so that, much scarier. Freaking horrifying. <laughs> That's like a terrifying Note thought. to self. <laughs> Just walk towards a person. So, Mike, jumping into the rest of that question. Yes. Yeah. Michael J. Bain said, what happens in our brain when we get scared? And how does a piece of fiction impact a person's life so much that they can recall vividly an experience from 35 plus years ago? Hmm. Okay. That is a terrific question. Um, and I think, you know. Jenny, my wife, hates swimming. Mm. And she hates swimming because of Jaws. Like, <gasps> in pools, Jenny won't go in the ocean. Like, forget that. Fair. But even, like, freshwater or a pool, Jenny's, like, on some level convinced there's going to be a shark attack. And no matter how much I try to explain there aren't sharks in swimming pools, that doesn't help. And... uh I didn't understand that for a long time, and I also hadn't studied the brain as deeply as I have now. And it makes, like, total, total sense that children or even adults who saw the movie Jaws 
have this potentially lifelong trepidation to water because like all our feelings, fear is a way that our brain and our nervous system gives us information. And when we assess that there is something in our environment that is a threat to our ability to continue to live, uh, that we don't think we can defeat in combat or through threat displays, we experience fear. And when I say we, I mean our nervous system, the kind of deep parts of the brain, right? So our thinking brain, our kind of cerebral brain, the neocortical brain, I call it the person brain in my book, um, has total awareness that something happening on a screen isn't really happening. But our brainstem and parts of our feeling brain don't have that same awareness. They just see this really clear sensory signal. And, uh, and so different parts of the brain respond to this media in different ways. And if we are activated enough... Um, or we're shown something kind of at a, a phase which is developmentally inappropriate, our brain responds to this imagery with a genuine trauma response. Like our body believes we are physically in sincere danger. And I think water might be especially potent because <laughs> when bodies evolved a fear response, every thing was aquatic. We were fish in those days. The first animals who could experience a traumatic response uh, were vertebrate fish, the, some of the first vertebrates in the history of evolution. And that hardware is still in there. So when we see this thing, this, oh my gosh, a person died in the water and it was a shark. And a lot of our fear responses to nature are instinctual. Uh, certainly spiders are, snakes are. I don't know about sharks. I could certainly see a, a possibility there. Um, this stuff gets wired really deep into our brains. It doesn't matter what our thinking brain knows. The, the brain stem and the amygdala, that part of the limbic system that coordinates fear and anger, doesn't have access to that information. Why? Because the parts of the brain that have access to information are too slow to keep you alive when the shit hits the fan. <laughs> Right? You, it's right. actually a survival advantage for fear to be much, 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 much faster than thought. And so that's why these movies stick with us. It's because they're reaching deeper into our brains than our thoughts do. They're getting down to those parts of our brain and those neural networks that are devoted to our survival. Speaking of sharks, as you were talking but. about... <laughs> oh god <laughs> that that like just that alone reminds me of brings up so many emotions i um, saw jaws as a kid and i laughed my butt off it was hilarious. very unfair I the shark thing. was fake i thought i saw it way later in life as so, a kid yeah. five or six years old i knew enough about marine biology to say this is an utter fabrication really to reality yeah that's so that's anyone good. Surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was um snorkeling off the Florida Keys a couple like weekends ago. Oh, bless you. Bless you, Daniel. Excuse, <laughs> Excuse my husband in the other room. <laughs> um, 
I was snorkeling and I saw a shark as I was, you know, snorkeling. And, and they said that it, none of the the wildlife was going to affect us at all. Um, but there was something about and I saw it and I I wait, 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 wait. Yeah. What kind of shark was this? It was all this I know. Like a real casual, like I saw a shark when I was snorkeling. It was like a big gray shark. That's oh all God. I know. And it was it was swimming around. It was hanging out. And my first reaction was, "Oh, I've seen this before, like on TV." Even though I've never seen a shark in real life and it didn't like uh, mean anything to me. And then it swam away really fast into uh, the murkiness. And I've never felt a more like primal instinct of fear in my life. I was like, oh, God, I am not at the top of this food chain. Like, I am not at the top anymore. Um, Especially when it's in the murkiness and you can't see. Oh, like, right. it, it could come like, from come behind. Up. Yeah, exactly. And it's over. Mike, uh, we have another question <laughs> from... <laughs> We have another question um, from L Dauber Pull on Twitter. How do I work through paralyzing fear when it is holding me back from growth? For oh, instance, being afraid to speak up or to reach out to connect with people, risking rejection or humiliation. Oh gosh, I think I think the people on camera with me right now could attest. <laughs> that I'm not the best person to say how to deal with the fear of reaching out to people. <laughs> listen to me, and I say this to validate your question. This is not an insignificant challenge in my life. We, as we try to work together as a company, if we have anything that involves me reaching out to another human being, including my dearest, closest friends or family, I'm like, no, what if I just didn't reach out to that person and we did something else instead. And uh, this affects my friendships and family relationships because people, because I literally never call or text anyone ever, <laughs> become convinced I don't like them. Whereas when someone calls me, I'm overjoyed. Oh, wow. It's my friend. I'm so happy to talk with him. So I, I couldn't answer the question. I do have the information you're looking for, but I couldn't offer the information without offering the caveat that I don't always know how to apply it. But generally, uh, fear, as we have already discussed, lives deep in our nervous system. This is happening down in the survival regions of our brain and the feeling centers of our brain, and they are loosely connected to the thinking and cognitive areas of our brains. And... That means we can't think our way through the problem. There's wonderful techniques in therapy, like cognitive behavioral therapy, or to some degree, talking therapy, that people will try to approach deep fear issues with, and they get frustrated that they're not really effective. And this is why things like emotionally focused therapy and trauma-informed therapeutic methodologies help more, because fear is in response to patterns of sensory input. Now, remember we have five senses. That should be really easy for us all to know that we can, uh, we have a sense of sight, of, of, of uh, hearing, of taste, of smell, and of touch. But you also might not realize that you have a sense of where your body is moving. 
right? That's separate from your sense of touch. Um, you have a, a, a sense of what's happening in your body, which is in some ways distinct from knowing where your body is. That is also distinct from your sense of touch. And all of those things can be wrapped up in fear. And they're all happening below the level of your thoughts. So there's two main strategies we employ, uh, roughly, to deal with these kinds of really deep-seated fears that interfere with our daily livings. Number one is de-escalation, becoming aware of fear as it begins to set into our body and then building a tool set that gives us a choice. Is this a situation where it's appropriate and okay for me to process this fear completely, which is a skill we may have to build if we don't have it already? Or is this a situation where I need to de-escalate my nervous system, not push the fear down, but take actions that make my body not experience it to the same extent? Things like the five, four, three, two, one response in the case of a panic attack, five things you can see, four things you can hear, you go down your senses and count. Um, things like uh, cross body tapping, where we tap at a rhythm across the midline of our body in a way that kind of keeps our brain busy and, and too confused to feel extreme fear. Um, and all those kind of strategies would fall under de-escalation. The other thing that we do is reprocessing. The nice thing about memories is every time we recall a memory, we change it because memories are just patterns and neural networks, right? So if you have something that makes you afraid, uh, you know, like say it's public speaking, and every time you get ready to do public speaking, you get really afraid and you feel afraid and you walk out and you get nervous and you say something wrong, your voice jitters and it creates this reinforcing cycle. Well, of course, every time you go to speak publicly, you feel fear and maybe more and more and more and more fear. But if uh, when you were getting ready to do public speaking, if you de-escalated and you talked about those feelings with someone who was really supportive and listening and empowering and told you you were good and told you were capable and told you were confident, that's actually going to start reprocessing that sense of fear that you have. Do you see the difference? We're still having the same fear, but the conditions in which we recall it can help us reprocess that fear and change our relationship to it. And that's true for any kind of fear we have. This is the foundation of talking therapy, by the way, talking to a therapist and then like their supportive reaction when we say difficult things and they don't judge us and they don't re reject us and they're supportive in their language and their vocal tone, their body language and their facial expressions and all those things, it changes our brain's relationship to the fear. And there are lots of reprocessing methodologies uh, and there are more intense interventions, the deeper seated that fear is, but roughly it comes down to de-escalation strategies moment by moment as we become aware fear is happening and reprocessing to deal with the origin of the fear itself. Really good. Very unusual. <laughs> uh, I, I, do, I experience a little bit of fear on this program. As we've yeah. been moving the format, uh, you all need to know that uh, Victory's our showrunner, and th there's a whole team that works on the Cozy Robot show, and Grace is super involved in picking out topics for the show. And these days, I just kind of show up, and I have a little <laughs> fear every episode that there's going to be questions that I'm like, just swing and a miss and whiff on. So <laughs> thank you, and this is nice to know yeah. that one works. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we, we force you to do it because you're always... Uh, 
It always Otherwise, it takes no. days at a time to writing outlines, and then I monologue for two hours. Yeah, yeah. About election math. <laughs> <laughs> you're always good when you're off the cuff. We try. Avi Danielle on Instagram asks, "How do you talk about fear with a toddler?" Oh wow, what a great question. Honestly, um, I, you know, I, so many parents tell children there's nothing to be afraid of, and that's not true. That wasn't true when I was a child, and that's certainly not true today. But we also don't want to, like with a toddler, be like, oh, my, everything is terrifying. We're all going to die. That would be incredibly traumatic. So when we talk about fear with a toddler, we want to name that, like, fear tells us something. And our feelings can feel big and powerful and scary. Our own feelings can feel like they get away with us. And that's why we have friends and why we have family and why we can support each other. So just know any time that you feel afraid and you want or need help, I'm happy to help you. It makes me feel good to help you because we love each other, right? So like be honest about the bigness of the feeling. Be honest that feelings really do tell us things that are wise to know and that we have no reason to be ashamed of our feelings or afraid to share our feelings, set standards in our family systems where the sharing and processing of feeling is not only acceptable, but encouraged. That's one of the things I'm probably most proud of in my relationship with my own children is that I set up very early in their lives a dynamic where not just their intellectual curiosity was okay, but their expression of their feelings was okay. And we could talk about our feelings and where our feelings came from and how we could respond to them together. That is lovely. And I think it's time for, to keep the lights on. Okay. Well, uh, we'll be right back with some messages from our sponsors. Cozy Robot Show is brought to you by you because this is an audience-supported program. Uh, We have sponsors that we love, but no sponsor is as consistent or as generous as our viewers and listeners. And to say thank you, we have a private Discord server where the Cozy Robots hang out. We have a book club. We play video games together. Uh, We have an after party every week where we play games. Sometimes we play Jackbox games or Among Us or other multiplayer games. Sometimes we have special guests come in and do fun things, uh, like when Taylor Hughes came and did a magic show for us. And your support is what makes this show possible and allows an entire team of people to facilitate it each and every week. So if you're not a cozy robot yet, consider joining at literally any level. It really does help us produce this program. You can learn more by going to CozyRobots.com. I'd love to see you on our Discord server. Uh, Our other sponsor this week is my friends over at KiwiCo. Gosh, one of the most long-running sponsors and one of the most appropriate sponsors for this program I can imagine because KiwiCo is all about applying curiosity with hands-on practical projects. 
KiwiCo is a subscription service that specializes in helping people learn about STEAM. And I don't mean very hot water. I mean science, technology, engineering, art, and math. When you subscribe to KiwiCo, you get a crate designed by experts and tested by kids every month in each different line. And there are bunches caters to different age groups from babies all the way to adults and from a variety of topics and subscription links. Now, what comes in each box? Well, everything you need. You never have to worry about a run to the store or a, an emergency Amazon order to complete what's in a KiwiCo box. And these things not only help liberate us from our screens, but they have detailed and kid-friendly instructions in every box, allowing children to put together and learn from their KiwiCo box independently. These projects offer structure, fun, and opportunities for hands-on exploration of ideas in science, technology, engineering, math, art, all together. And uh, they're made with high-quality, sustainable materials. I absolutely adore KiwiCo. And with their hands-on art and science projects, kids can engineer a walking robot, design a paint pendulum, conduct bubbling, chemistry experiments, and more, all from the comfort of home. Everything you need to make STEAM seriously fun is delivered right to your doorstop. So get 30% off your first month, plus free shipping on any crate line with the code COZYROBOTS. That's right. 30% off your first month at kiwico.com. Promo code COZYROBOTS. Mike, speaking of movies, as we were at the top of the show, mm -hmm. at underscore mama soul underscore on Instagram asks, why do people enjoy scary movies? How can some fear be enjoyable? This is such a good question. Modern life is pretty boring. You know, if you, <laughs> if you think about the world we evolved in, um, human civilization is super new. So humans used to live um, with only the most primitive clothing items. Uh, we would live in caves or sleep out in the open. When it was dark, it was dark. For most of our evolutionary history, humans didn't have language. We couldn't even talk to each other. So the world was really scary, right? Uh, lives were short, not because we didn't live to advanced age. Once we kind of moved into at least the Neolithic era or you could make it into your 60s or 70s pretty easily, but a lot of people died during early childhood. The world was terrifying, right? Uh, then we started building cities and putting walls around our cities, and we started uh, decimating predator populations that happened before agriculture. We became kind of the dominant predator uh, on, on Earth, a, a super predator, if you will. You know, Grace, I thought back to your story of swimming with a shark, and I imagine the reason that shark swam off so quickly is because there was a human nearby. And sharks' mm. normal experience in encountering a human is to get speared with a spear or caught in a net, right? We are terrifying. And so um, we're bored. <laughs> not we're the hungry. answer I was expecting. When we are hungry, most of us, not everybody, poverty is a real problem <laughs> and increasing uh, during this pandemic. Uh, but 
when you're out of poverty, um, if you want food, you just like go grab a box and eat. Um, when you, you know, want entertainment, when you want something to do, there's so many options. And so when you combine the kind of monotony of modern existence with, I don't know if we're at some historic low point of emotional fluency, but it's certainly not great today. Um, and we don't really know how to access or process our feelings. We use media as a way to explore feelings we're not comfortable navigating ourselves. How many people like to watch sad movies so they can have a good cry? Why? Because yeah. they don't have a functional relationship with their own feelings of sadness, and they need media to assist them with that. And so scary films do that for our fear response. They help us to feel fear in a way that is ultimately safe. The same way we like roller coasters, the same way we like theme parks and other experiences, haunted houses, escape rooms. There's a lot of money to be made if you can make people feel afraid and safe at the same time. Um, and I don't see anything wrong with that. Um, and I know that in my own life, you know, I didn't know that I had PTSD and I didn't know what dissociation was, uh, even though I dissociate constantly. Um, all I knew was everybody else some way seemed to be having fun when they were scared by movies. And so I was on a lifelong search to try and find a film that made me feel afraid like that. Because when I did get afraid at a film, I didn't get afraid like my friends and family got afraid at horror movies. I went into a full-on trauma response mm -hmm. if something made it through, right? Um, and I remember, you know, I said, go to movies as, as a child, as an adult, people are watching scary movies, and everybody's jumping and grabbing each other. And, oh, and it's kind of fun to be scared together. And I felt like you know, kind of the odd person out on the side of the room, like, what an interesting technique. Uh, I guess maybe 500 milliseconds is the ideal pause before a jump scare, like just this very uh -huh. detached experience. And uh, I totally get why people love scary movies. It gives us access to a feeling that in other contexts feels overwhelming and overpowering and in modern life is often all too rare. Okay, so what does it mean if a person hates scary movies? Oh, gosh, I, I don't think there's one meaning, right? Um, it could mean that they have some unprocessed trauma. <laughs> it could mean that they're just a sensitive person, you know? Um, I used to love shoot -em up movies. Just love them. The violent movies over the top the more over the top the better mm -hmm. and uh then i had a mystical experience that kind of made me more emotionally open and i got tired of movies with like guns and shooting and death and then uh in january 2020 i went and had a week of intensive group therapy and worked on codependency and all this kind of stuff and then I, for a while, I couldn't handle movies that had like just like punching and fighting, even if he died, because it was too visceral. I mm. think it oh, it has to do so much with whatever relationship we have with our feeling uh, each day and in each phase of our lives. You know, I'm kind of getting back into some action films again. I still don't love movies where a lot of people get shot, but I do like, yeah. uh, you know, the the martial arts kind of stuff. I like to watch that. But I like it if I can kind of remind myself 
these are stunt people doing an amazing performance. I actually need a degree of separation uh, to enjoy it. So like when I watched like John Wick chapter two or three, whichever the most recent one is, it was too much because it was too convincing for me to remember mm. these are performers doing great work. And that was kind of, right. I just, it was overwhelming to me as a sensitive person. And um, I think the important thing is not like what makes us comfortable, not comfortable with this media. What do we learn about our response to media and how can that help us on our own growth of uh, our own journey of discovery and growth? It's funny that you mentioned boredom being such an being the catalyst for watching horror movies. I found that I would never have watched Hereditary, the movie Hereditary, <laughs> had it not been for being bored out of my mind. Mm -hmm. In quarantine, my friends and I, uh, during Halloween, you know, we couldn't go anywhere. And so we decided to watch Hereditary and it was horrifying and it did the trick. I wasn't bored anymore. <laughs> oh my gosh. I watched Hereditary, yeah, Hereditary, Hereditary. <laughs> Everyone told me it was like the scariest movie ever. And I was so excited. I was like, this is going to be the one. So I was traveling. I was by myself in a hotel room. Oh no. So I'm like, this is pretty creepy. I like closed the curtain so that it could look like someone was hiding behind them. I partially <laughs> opened the closet, partially opened the bathroom, um, got everything really as dark as possible, plugged my laptop into the TV, which really wasn't set up for that. So I had to like do a bunch of unwiring of the hotel stuff and do a factory reset on the television to get the firmware unlocked. And uh, needless to say, I put a lot of work into that film, having the capacity to scare me. And uh, not even once. Mike, so are you disappointed. kidding I'm not, me? Not, yeah, I, I even monitored my pulse the whole time. <laughs> oh I literally Unchanged. watched that movie and and yelped out loud so many times. I still, I still will be in bed sometimes and, and think of parts of that movie and be and get chills. Well, during the third act, I thought it was a parody, and I laughed a lot. <laughs> But I oh will say, God. I just had a moment of terror because your chair turned and I thought <gasps> someone was coming out of the darkness behind you. And that was scary because I saw your chair move around. I was like, oh my gosh, Grace is going to die. Oh, wait, no, that's just a chair. <laughs> oh my gosh, Grace, Grace gonna you die. did it. Hereditary so couldn't do it, but you Grace. did it. I scared Mike, Mike more scared. than that horrifying movie. That's um, true. Mike, um, why? So Billy Joe John John, a <laughs> great name great on name. Instagram asks, why does fear sometimes express itself as other emotions like anger? Oh, fantastic question. Um, our feelings can wear other feelings as masks if we were socialized against a feeling uh, being socially acceptable in our developmental periods. So um, a lot of men, so many men are taught that fear is weakness. And that message is just at every opportunity reinforced. And so those men, when they feel afraid and their amygdala activates, um, well, the amygdala controls two feelings, doesn't it? Fear and anger. And so it's really easy, neurologically speaking, for fear to be transformed into anger. Uh, they're both feelings that tell us something in our environment is a threat. Um, 
And when you heard the fight or flight response, the fight response is anger and the flight response is fear. So the neural networks of this person's brain um, basically form a loop where when fear activates, it immediately kind of reinforces back into the amygdala and gets transformed into anger. And with men, a lot of feelings get re-expressed as anger um, because men are given this really limited emotional palette that they're allowed uh, to display. In a similar way, a lot of people who are raised as women deal with a lot of anxiety because they're kind of taught that like fear is their most okay feeling, right? Other than being like happy and supportive of other people. Well, you can't be angry. You can't really show disgust, uh, except in very specific contexts. But if you want to be afraid, then you can be rescued, right? So fear for women can be a mask for other things. Now, I don't want to speak along gendered lines, right? It is both true that we have really restrictive gender-based social scripts, and it is also true um, that those things are very confining and and people deviate from them is generally a sign of uh, health and growth. Um, but yeah, masks, uh, feelings are masks very, 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 very often. And that comes down to how, especially as children, the kind of reinforcement we got when we showed a given feeling. At Catherine or Cat on Instagram asks, how much should we listen to our body's fear response and nervous system reactions? Oh, gosh, listen? We should always listen. Mm. Um, you know, there's this kind of ridiculous superstition among Western people that like, if you allow yourself to have feelings, they're going to take over. They're just going to like dominate you. And you've got to be focused on facts and thoughts. And don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of facts and of thoughts, right? Like people call me science Mike for years. Um, but everyone has feelings, and when we try to bypass them or ignore them or repress them, they actually control us more and not less. Our whole life comes becomes about managing our feelings. When we actually acknowledge our feelings, we pay attention to our feelings, they will tell us something. You know, there's this... Uh, wave our body brain system goes through when we experience a feeling. It comes on really quickly and then kind of crests and we have a sustainable emotion and then it fades. This part is really scary with feelings like uh, fear or anger or sadness. The feelings come on fast. They feel too big. And so we try to get away. But once we get to the kind of like taper um, or the plateau and then the taper, this is where we start to get insight. We start to learn why we're afraid. If you feel fear, your body is trying to tell you something about your environment, your circumstances, or your formative experiences. And we, we should pay attention to those things, and we should learn from those things. If we don't, then it manifests itself in all kinds of unhealthy coping behaviors and some pretty serious emotional challenges in middle age and beyond. Mike, can you speak to superstition? Yeah, you, 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 in the very beginning, you said we have the superstition in our country, which was a very serious fact and true. But I am also wondering, uh, 
if you guys have superstitions, because I have weird ones that I know are superstitious, but I like can't get rid of them. And my, like, I have a lot of superstitions around numbers and dates. I don't, Mm. I do not know why that is, but like something important is supposed to happen or it did happen. And then I like look at the date and I'm like, okay, this is this date. What happened last year on this date? Like I try to find little patterns. Um, July has always been seemed like a great month for me. Don't know why. But I'm like, ooh, oh, I know it's the pattern. seventh month, and seven is the number of perfection. Aha, yes, there it's you go. Number. If uh, you <laughs> make sure, uh, not make sure, um, comment, comment below if you have a superstition that you've always wondered where, what it is. Bring um, it on, please. We'll I see, love superstitions. I there love are it. so many different ones. They're very, yeah. very interesting. Grace, do you have any? Oh, well, I um, was taught like throwing salt over your shoulder is good luck. Yeah, well, it's like um, keeping the ghosts away or something, right? Oh, really? See, I don't know where it comes from. I, I also wasn't taught it like, come, Grace. And there was like a ring of candles and I was taught to throw the salt over my shoulder. <laughs> it was really just something I heard once. <laughs> but yeah. um, but I've, I've heard of that one. I've heard of don't, you know, when you're little, don't step on a crack. You'll break your mama's back kind of yeah. a superstition. Don't walk underneath a ladder. Don't break a mirror, that kind of stuff. Yeah. My husband will not step on cracks for real. There you like, go. Will jump long. There's some power to, to it. Avoid a crack. Yeah. Uh, so Lindsay, Lindsay says, "Oh, I was super obsessed with holding my breath when driving past a graveyard for years." Ooh, that's really good. <laughs> it's hard for me because, like, I don't know what is autistic rituals which are things Mm -hmm. I just find like mechanically soothing as opposed to superstitions, which I feel like would impart a greater degree of belief. I don't step on cracks on the sidewalk, but not because of any particular belief. It just feels like the right thing. And that's Daniel. Daniel does the Um, same. It's not for a belief. It's just because that's his brain needs to not step on the cracks. Like when I put things on my desk, it tends to be at a right angle, parallel, (laughs) perpendicular, or 45 degrees, but not something else, right? Like, that's not a superstition. That's, that's, as I affectionately call it, the tism for me. The tism, Um, yeah. And uh, superstition, on the other hand, uh, makes a lot of sense for, it's a combination of things. Number one. Uh, human brains are, and this is true, some of the most powerful pattern-finding computational hardware in the universe. We see patterns everywhere. In fact, we're so good at seeing patterns. We see patterns where patterns don't exist. I mean, you can find that with other cognitive biases of ours, like confirmation bias, um, selectivity bias. There's, I mean, we could list dozens. Uh, it means our memories aren't optimized for accuracy. Our memories are optimized to help us survive. And then you layer on top of that, we're a social species. So there's incredible evolutionary incentive for us to share our feelings about patterns in the environment, right? So a superstition that makes a lot of sense is to like be wary of stepping over a log. Let's just go there. It might be a snake behind it. And if you startle a snake, it bites you, you die. And so that's a pretty reasonable thing in an environment. But we might not know why we have that superstition. 
And so that same kind of social survival mechanism uh, is what also comes into play behind our superstitions, be having an intuitive awareness of things in the environment and being connected to certain outcomes that are positive or negative. Um, And I don't think they're bad. I think sometimes they're helpful and we don't know why. As long as we're not ruled by them or we don't allow superstitions to um, overcome, you know, more evidence-based information that we're presented with. Um, You know, I I have superstitions of my own. I don't like to keep too many windows open on a computer because when window managers first appeared on computers, every open window used a little bit of RAM and could impact overall system performance. I, uh, uh, See, we dug a little deeper. We got into the tech. I tend to be pretty suspicious about, um, you know, installing uh, software updates and patches on a day where I have a critical workload. Um, I don't know. If, but see, is that superstition? <laughs> because I have pretty good evidence that, like, when you do that, you have a good chance right. of it impacting your workflow because of bugs. But I do have those kind of little rituals. Um, and I'm sure if Jenny was in the room right now, she would, like, shout bullshit and tell you guys. <laughs> <laughs> the 35 superstitions I have. Uh, I just things. don't have the self-knowledge to know. We got a lot of people wrote in with their superstitions. I love it. We have, I'm still, Brandon Barter, I'm still afraid of opening an umbrella inside. We have a we lot of people out. talking about, like, uh, I don't, uh, Priscilla, I don't yeah. like having things to, to the left of me while sitting. Yeah. There were a couple of people who said that. I have a lot of um, trouble with things to my left side. Interesting. You do too? Uh, Not not that they scare me. Like, I lose tracking and awareness of them. There's kind of like, it was kind of like my front left peripheral and then my back right are both kind of like awareness dead spots for me. And so things mm. get in there, move out, then they can scare me because I forgot they exist. Existed. <laughs> so, and that's only post brain injury. Wow, we could play a lot of tricks on you now that we know that. <laughs> <laughs> I am actually uh, say an easy mark. This is true. Leanne uh, Leanne says I was taught some rhymes when I was a kid that took me a long time to leave behind, especially the one about how the day of the week you're born on affects your life. I haven't heard that, but I kind of, that's very interesting. It's very horoscopy sounding. Sounds a little astrology. Yeah. I do. I relate to that because I was born on Mother's Day and it's always, it happens (gasps) once every seven years that my birthday's on it. And it's always like a big story in the family of you were born on Mother's Day. And oh my gosh, it, it means something. It meant something. It's that numbers thing again. Hmm. Yeah, it was really that. I mean, when I was born, there was a tornado and all the electricity went out in the hospital. So that maybe very I'm scary. like, I may, I know I would be afraid of me. Yeah, <laughs> I would be like, oh gosh, like this baby has powers. Um, uh, Mike Mikkel Norden on Instagram well, asks, this is actually really oh, important. I was born on June the 28th. Now, if you take eight. And minus two, what do you get? You get six. 
So that's a six and a six. And then I'm the sixth generation of McCarg in the United States. So that's six, six, six. So I've often believed that I am the Antichrist here to bring the end of time. This I just made it all up on the spot. It's none straight of up demonic. True. None of that is true. That was me kind of poking fun at superstition. I was about to Mike. rebuke it. I was about to rebuke it. Mike, I was about to go, your plan is going well. There's a pandemic. There's, it, it's awful. Things are the terrible. Eyebrows. The devil's eyebrows right here. <laughs> Um, Mikel Norton on Instagram asked, this is kind of a heavy one, but why okay. is it so scary to be alone? Oh, social primates. You know, like dogs hate to be alone. They're social mammals. Without their pack, they'll die. Without other people before civilization, a human is dead at pretty fast, Right. One-on-one, -on -one, we don't fare well against other similar-sized or even smaller pr predators. We actually don't fare all that well against prey animals our size. Like a person versus a deer doesn't go well if we don't have weapons. Um, our senses, other than sight, aren't particularly keen. Uh, so we're pretty easy to sneak up on as things go. Like... Uh, our strength is in numbers and our nervous systems evolved in that capacity. So being alone for a human person is uh, is frightening. And over time, isolation has really severe effects on our psychology. Uh, risks for uh, depression and anxiety triple after periods of social isolation. And that risk persists for seven to 10 years following the end of that period of isolation. I think about the pandemic we're in right now, and so many people are isolating for a long period of time, and the psychological effects of that are severe, even for people who are introverts or have antisocial traits to their personality. Ultimately, the human animal is an animal that is that, that, that evolved, that developed to be around other members of uh, its species. Well, there you go. There's monkey in us. Well, well, but, but more than that, like, well, us and monkeys have a common ancestor. There's a extraordinary little, little monkey in us. But um, we are more social than any other species of primate, any species of monkey, any species of ape. Um, we form larger social groups than any of them, even if you take away civilization. Mm. So of the primates, we're not just a social primate. We're kind of the social mm -hmm. primate. Mike, to end the night, I guess, okay. um, Alora Loren on Instagram asks, how is fear a helpful tool? Fear is a feeling. All our feelings are useful and helpful, right? Fear is here to tell us something. It is a messenger. It is your nervous system saying, hey, watch out. Something is wrong. Now, it's really important we separate something here, and that's fear from anxiety and fear from terror. Anxiety is not fear. Anxiety is what you feel when you don't have access to fear 
or another feeling. So if you're feeling anxious all the time, that's not you feeling a low level of fear all the time. That is your nervous system kind of being stuck in a rut and saying, I need to tell you something with a feeling, but I don't feel allowed to share that feeling and some work needs to happen. Terror, which is an extreme version of fear, does tell us something that there's something appropriate for us to be terrified of. Like um, if a shark is swimming through murky water, that's a perfectly fine moment to feel terror. If there's a poisonous, <laughs> dangerous animal, if there's an assaulter, um, you know, kind of moving towards us or potential assailant uh, demonstrating you know, obvious effects of immediate physical harm, terror is an appropriate response. Fear just tells us, hey, watch out. Something around you isn't safe. And you can hit, you can experience fear in social contexts. And fear is meant to tell you information. If you are feeling anxiety instead of fear, you might have some therapeutic work to do about getting access to your emotions. And if you're experiencing terror constantly in situations where terror isn't called for, you probably have unprocessed trauma, right? None of those things are bad, by the way. You didn't choose any of those emotional patterns. None of those things are your fault. Those are things that happen in your developmental life. But when we process our trauma and get a good set of skills for relating to and understanding our feelings... Fear is one of our most valuable feelings of all, because when we feel it, we know that there is something around us that needs to change and needs to change immediately. Fear can motivate us to set boundaries. Fear can motivate us to make our needs known. And fear can compel us to take a stand for people who are marginalized and oppressed. That's good. <laughs> That's good. It's well, time. it's time, We've friends. It. The Cozy Robot Show is brought to you by the most talented and supportive team in the entire world. So I'd like to thank the people who make the show possible, like each and every one of the Cozy Robots. Yes. Our program has been produced by Tanner Hearn, Victory Palmazano, and Greg Nordine. <laughs> Music by Madison McCarg and Macy McCarg. Production support by Amy Hill. Hey, Amy. Woo! Hey, Social Amy. media management and show co-host, Grace Vaughn. Designed Woo! by Sydney Smith. Motion graphic design by Landon Satterfield. Set design. You can see it behind me. Thank you. Jesse of Jesse Lane Interiors. Wardrobe stylist and craft services. And CEO of my life is Jenny McCarg. Thanks so <laughs> much for joining us tonight. And we can't wait to see you again next week. Bye, see everybody. Next week. Bye, guys. Bye. The Cozy Robot Show.